part one of somewhere in france this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by carolyn somewhere in france by richard harding davis part one marie gessler known as marie chaumontel jeanne d'avrichy the countess d'auriac was german her father who served through the franco-prussian war was a german spy it was from her mother she learned to speak french sufficiently well to satisfy even an academician and among parisians to pass as one both her parents were dead before they departed knowing they could leave their daughter nothing save their debts they had her trained as a nurse but when they were gone marie in the berlin hospitals played politics intrigued indiscriminately misused the appealing violet eyes there was a scandal several scandals at the age of twenty-five she was dismissed from the municipal hospital and as now save for the violet eyes she was without resources as a compagnon de voyage with a german doctor she travelled to monte carlo there she abandoned the doctor for henri ravignac a captain in the french aviation corps who when his leave ended escorted her to paris the duties of captain ravignac kept him in barracks near the aviation field but marie he established in his apartments on the boulevard Haussmann. one day he brought from the barracks a roll of blueprints and as he was locking them in a drawer said the germans would pay through the nose for those the remark was indiscreet but then marie had told him she was french and any one would have believed her the next morning the same spirit of adventure that had exiled her from the berlin hospitals carried her with the blueprints to the german embassy there greatly shocked they first wrote down her name and address and then indignant at her proposition ordered her out but the day following a strange young german who was not at all indignant but on the contrary quite charming called upon marie for the blueprints he offered her a very large sum and that same hour with them and marie departed for berlin marie did not need the money nor did the argument that she was serving her country greatly impress her it was rather that she loved intrigue and so she became a spy henri ravignac the man she had robbed of the blueprints was tried by court-martial the charge was treason but charles ravignac his younger brother promised to prove that the guilty one was the girl and to that end obtained leave of absence and spent much time and money 
at the trial he was able to show the record of marie in berlin and monte carlo that she was the daughter of a german secret agent that on the afternoon the prince disappeared marie with an agent of the german embassy had left paris for berlin in consequence of this the charge of selling military secrets was altered to one of gross neglect and henri ravignac was sentenced to two years in the military prison at tours but he was of an ancient and noble family and when they came to take him from his cell in the cherge midi he was dead charles his brother disappeared it was said he also had killed himself that he had been appointed a military attache in south america that to revenge his brother he had entered the secret service but whatever became of him no one knew all that was certain was that thanks to the act of marie gessler on the rolls of the french army the ancient and noble name of ravignac no longer appeared in her chosen profession marie gessler found nothing discreditable of herself her opinion was not high and her opinion of men was lower for her smiles she had watched several sacrifice honour duty loyalty and she held them and their kind in contempt to lie to cajole to rob men of secrets they thought important and of secrets the importance of which they did not even guess was to her merely an intricate and exciting game she played it very well so well that in the service her advance was rapid on important missions she was sent to russia through the balkans even to the united states there with credentials as an army nurse she inspected our military hospitals and unobtrusively asked many innocent questions when she begged to be allowed to work in her beloved paris they told her when war came they intended to plant her inside that city and that until then the less paris knew of her the better but just before the great war broke to report on which way italy might jump she was sent to rome and it was not until september she was recalled the telegram informed her that aunt elizabeth was ill and that at once she must return to berlin this she learned from the coat-book wrapped under the cover of her thermos bottle meant that she was to report to the general commanding the german forces at soissons from italy she passed through switzerland and after leaving basel on military trains was rushed north to luxembourg and then west to Laon. she was accompanied by her companion bertha an elderly and respectable even distinguished-looking female in the secret service her number was five hundred twenty-eight their passes from the war office described them as nurses of the german red cross only the intelligence department knew their real mission with her also as her chauffeur was a young italian soldier of fortune paul anfossi he had served in the belgian congo 
in the french foreign legion in algiers and spoke all the european languages in rome where as a wireless operator he was serving a commercial company in selling marie copies of messages he had memorized marie had found him useful and when war came she obtained for him from the wilhelmstrasse the number two hundred ninety two from Laon, in one of the automobiles of the general staff the three spies were driven first to soissons and then along the road to meux and paris to the village of neufchelles they arrived at midnight and in a chateau of one of the champagne princes found the colonel commanding the intelligence bureau he accepted their credentials destroyed them and replaced them with a laissez-passer signed by the mayor of Laon. that dignitary the colonel explained to citizens of Laon fleeing to paris and the coast had issued many passes but as now between law and paris were three german armies the refugees had been turned back and their passes confiscated from among them said the officer we have selected one for you it is issued to the wife of count d'auriac a captain of reserves and her aunt madame benet it asks for those ladies and their chauffeur Briand a safe conduct through the french military lines if it gets you into paris you will destroy it and assume another name the count d'auriac is now with his regiment in that city if he learned of the presence there of his wife he would seek her and that would not be good for you so if you reach paris you will become a belgian refugee you are high-born and rich your chateau has been destroyed but you have money you will give liberally to the red cross you will volunteer to nurse in the hospitals with your sad story of ill-treatment by us with your high birth and your knowledge of nursing which you acquired of course only as an amateur you should not find it difficult to join the ladies of france or the american ambulance what you learn from the wounded english and french officers and the french doctors you will send us through the usual channels when do i start asked the woman for a few days explained the officer you remain in this chateau you will keep us informed of what is going forward after we withdraw withdraw it was more of an exclamation than a question marie was too well trained to ask questions we are taking up a new position said the officer on the Aisne. the woman incredulous stared and we do not enter paris you do returned the officer that is all that concerns you we will join you later in the spring meanwhile for the winter we entrench ourselves along the Aisne. in a chimney of this chateau we have set up a wireless outfit we are leaving it intact the chauffeur briand who you must explain to the french you brought with you from Laon, and who has been long in your service will transmit whatever you discover we wish especially to know of any movement toward our left 
if they attack us in front from soissons we are prepared but of any attempt to cross the oise and take us in flank you must warn us the officer rose and hung upon himself his field-glasses map-cases and side-arms we leave you now he said when the french arrive you will tell them your reason for halting at this chateau was that the owner monsieur ivernet and his family are friends of your husband you found us here and we detained you and so long as you can use the wireless make excuses to remain if they offer to send you on to paris tell them your aunt is too ill to travel but they will find the wireless said the woman they are sure to use the towers for observation and they will find it in that case said the officer you will suggest to them that we fled in such haste we had no time to dismantle it of course you had no knowledge that it existed or as a loyal french woman you would have at once told them to emphasize his next words the officer pointed at her under no circumstances he continued must you be suspected if they should take briand the act should they have even the least doubt concerning him you must repudiate him entirely if necessary to keep your own skirts clear it would be your duty yourself to denounce him as a spy your first orders said the woman were to tell them briand has been long in my service that i brought him from my home in law he might be in your service for years returned the colonel and you not know he was a german agent if to save myself i inform upon him said marie of course you know you will lose him the officer shrugged his shoulders a wireless operator he retorted we can replace but for you and for the service you are to render in paris we have no substitute you must not be found out you are invaluable the spy inclined her head i thank you she said the officer sputtered indignantly it is not a compliment he exclaimed it is an order you must not be found out withdrawn some two hundred yards from the paris road the chateau stood upon a wooded hill except directly in front trees of great height surrounded it the tips of their branches brushed the windows interlacing they continued until they overhung the wall of the estate where it ran with the road the wall gave way to a lofty gate and iron fence through which those passing could see a stretch of noble turf as wide as a polo field borders of flowers disappearing under the shadows of the trees and the chateau itself with its terrace its many windows its high-pitched sloping roof broken by towers and turrets through the remainder of the night there came from the road to those in the chateau the roar and rumbling of the army in retreat it moved without panic disorder or haste but unceasingly not for an instant was there a breathing spell 
and when the sun rose the three spies the two women and the chauffeur who in the great chateau were now alone could see as well as hear the grey column of steel rolling past below them the spies knew that the grey column had reached clay had stood within fifteen miles of paris and then upon paris had turned its back they knew also that the reverberations from the direction of meux that each moment grew more loud and savage were the french seventy-fives whipping the grey column forward of what they felt the germans did not speak in silence they looked at each other and in the eyes of marie was bitterness and resolve toward noon marie met anfossi in the great drawing-room that stretched in the length of the terrace and from the windows of which through the park gates they could see the paris road this that is passing now said marie is the last of our rear-guard go to your tower she ordered and send word that except for stragglers and the wounded our column has just passed through neufchelles and that any moment we expect the french she raised her hand impressively from now she warned we speak french we think french we are french anfossi or briand as now he called himself addressed her in that language his tone was bitter pardon my lease majesty he said but this chief of your intelligence department is a dumma mensch he is throwing away a valuable life marie exclaimed in dismay she placed her hand upon his arm and the violet eyes filled with concern not yours she protested absolutely returned the italian i can send nothing by this knapsack wireless that they will not learn from others from airmen uhlans the peasants in the fields and certainly i will be caught dead i am dead but alive and in paris the opportunities are unending from the french legion étranger i have my honourable discharge i am an expert wireless operator and in their signal corps i can easily find a place imagine me then on the eiffel tower from the air i snatch news from all of france from the channel the north sea you and i could work together as in rome but here between the lines with a pass from a village sous-préfet it is ridiculous i am not afraid to die but to die because some one else is stupid that is hard marie clasped his hand in both of hers you must not speak of death she cried you know i must carry out my own orders that i must force you to take this risk and you know that thought of harm to you tortures me quickly the young man disengaged his hand the woman exclaimed with anger why do you doubt me she cried briand protested vehemently i do not doubt you my affection then in a whisper that carried with it the feeling of a caress marie added softly 
my love the young man protested miserably you make it very hard mademoiselle he cried you are my superior officer i am your servant who am i that i should share with others the woman interrupted eagerly ah you are jealous she cried is that why you are so cruel but when i tell you i love you and only you can you not feel it is the truth the young man frowned unhappily my duty mademoiselle he stammered with an exclamation of anger marie left him as the door slammed behind her the young man drew a deep breath on his face was the expression of ineffable relief in the hall marie met her elderly companion bertha now her aunt madame benet i heard you quarrelling bertha protested it is most indiscreet it is not in the part of the comtesse d'auriac that she makes love to her chauffeur marie laughed noiselessly and drew her further down the hall he is imbecile she exclaimed he will kill me with his solemn face and his conceit i make love to him yes that he may work the more willingly but he will have none of it he is jealous of the others madame benet frowned he resents the others she corrected i do not blame him he is a gentleman and the others demanded marie were they not of the most noble families of rome i am old and i am ugly said bertha but to me Enfossi is always as considerate as he is to you who are so beautiful an italian gentleman returned marie does not serve in belgian congo unless it is the choice of that or the marble quarries i do not know what his past may be sighed madame benet nor do i ask he is only a number as you and i are only numbers and i beg you to let us work in harmony at such a time your love affairs threaten our safety you must wait marie laughed insolently with the dubarry she protested i can boast that i wait for no man no replied the older woman you pursue him marie would have answered sharply but on the instant her interest was diverted for one week by day and night she had lived in a world peopled only by german soldiers beside her in the railroad carriage on the station platforms at the windows of the trains that passed the one in which she rode at the great crossings on the bridges in the roads that paralleled the tracks choking the streets of the villages and spread over the fields of grain she had seen only the grey-green uniforms even her professional eye no longer distinguished regiment from regiment dragoon from grenadier ulan from hussar or landsturm stripes insignia numerals badges of rank had lost their meaning those who wore them no longer were individuals they were not even human 
during the three last days the automobile like a motor-boat fighting the tide had crept through a grey-green river of men stained as though from the banks by mud and yellow clay and for hours while the car was blocked and in fury the engine raced and purred the grey-green river had rolled past her slowly but as inevitably as lava down the slope of a volcano bearing on its surface faces with staring eyes thousands and thousands of eyes some fierce and bloodshot others filled with weariness homesickness pain at night she still saw them the white faces under the sweat and dust the eyes dumb inarticulate asking the answer she had been suffocated by german soldiers by the mass of them engulfed and smothered she had stifled in a land inhabited only by grey-green ghosts End of part one.